and welcome back to Demo Tapes, the music podcast where we pause and chat about the artists and scenes that we've loved. I'm Sarah Jane Kemp and this my co-host is Rick Martin. Hi Sarah. Hey up, how you doing? Yeah, good thanks. How's your week been? Week been, week been? <laughs> week has been. Great. So I'm a bit all over the place today, Rick, I have to I have to say. You can keep that bit in, you don't have to edit that bit out. I've had a bit of a busy morning, so my, my brain's a bit fried, but I'm really looking forward to this chat. I'm kind of all ready and prepared to go. So um, yeah, it's been great so far. Been listening to loads of new music, doing loads of new stuff. How about you? I mean, what better way to sort of stop and hit reset than a chat about music and some, exactly. some nonsense from me. Exactly. So. so it's lunchtime, just before lunch, actually. So I'm getting slightly hungry as well, which is always a good thing because... I'll be focused and very focused thinking about my prawn Thai curry that's waiting for me in the fridge. I think we've already established that you're more into your food than you are your music, so... Well, I mean, me, well, food... Uh, yeah, music used to be my number one love, but I would say food did overtake that a little bit over the, over the last sort of ten years, so yeah. And we did manage yeah. to mix those loves on the last series with uh, the Big Rap Cookbook. If you haven't heard that, you want to know more about Sarah's kind of love of food and music, do go back and listen to that. Yeah, and we might have, well, I think we will. We were doing some episode planning yesterday. We'll have some more uh, episodes coming up where music and food merges. Yeah, absolutely can't wait. Uh, but I guess just to bring it back into the now, I'm trying to think of a kind of daft food reference then to kind of new bands and new music. You know, what's what's been on your menu over the last last week <laughs> or so in terms it. of uh, in terms of new music? What you've been listening to? Well, I've been listening to the radio a lot recently. Um, I've tuned back into Radio One, uh, so I used to listen to that quite a lot when I was a, when I was a kid and a teenager because obviously the Top Forty was around when I was young and I used to kind of religiously listen to that every Sunday. Um, but uh, yeah, I just thought I'd give it a bit of a listen to see what's what's going on in the new music world these you know days. that we're out of their demographic now i think you know i think no, now I that think we're in we our are, 30s, which is we're... why i think um i'm quite surprised and you probably be quite surprised listening to know that i've been listening to radio one although i do like some of the djs they're quite funny um but yeah we are definitely out of their demographic but they are playing a couple of bands at the moment that are old bands i'd say um certainly one of them was around when i was a teenager and uh, first moved to london all those years ago about 15 16 years ago now while wow, time flies um so that one was the mystery jets and i was quite surprised to hear that it was the mystery jets because it was definitely a lot different to their their sound back in the day kind of a lot more rocky um than it used to be it used to be quite melodic and kind of a bit Floaty and Float, yeah, used to be kind of uh, yeah, quite poppy. Whereas yeah, the last couple of albums they have turned up the rock a little bit. I've yeah, noticed. and then there's another band that's also done the same thing. The 1975s. They used to be really kind of funky, and um, their music was. I can't really think what I used to liken it to. Actually, it wasn't. I used to like it, but it wasn't something I'd actively listen to. Um, but yeah, their new song, uh, their new track, People. Uh, just sounds so rocky and I'm thinking sitting there thinking is this the return of rock you know we've had a bit of a break from rock music that's been in kind of the public domain especially especially on radio stations like Radio 1 for quite a Mm. long time so is this the return everyone's going mad for this track I mean even I saw uh, John McClaw the reverend who you know regularly slags off the likes of the 1975 was like what's happened here this is actually a banger so that made me go and listen to it and uh, yeah I can kind of see the point and I think the thing with the 1975 for me I feel like you know when they first emerged they almost were like a boy band sort of thing and then all the kind of credible inverted commas music journalists on credible kind of music sites like the Guardian and Pitchfork suddenly started viewing them as kind of like a, an actual credible artist in the way you would the Libertines or the Strokes. But um, but yeah, maybe they're going through a bit of a metamorphosis at the moment. 
Well, I quite like it. How about you? What have you been listening to? Uh, see, a couple of things, I guess. Uh, there's a band called Fontaine's DC that I keep, and I'm, you know, I'm probably showing uh, that I'm not finger on the pulse of this because they, they probably emerged about six nine months ago, kind of as part of that same scene as kind of Idols and Shame. And one of those names I kept reading and thinking I need to go and listen to this. And then yesterday, finally got round to doing so, and you can kind of see what all the hypes. Uh, about so if you haven't heard them they're a kind of post-punk band from Ireland um, and the, the vocals are almost a little bit spoken word like you know they've got kind of really kind of razor sharp you know kind of quite fast taught punk songs but with a real kind of spoken word kind of um, social commentary I think we talked about on the last episode yeah. uh, sort of vibe to them so yeah uh, interesting band would, would be keen to see them live actually the way that they it's got one of those sounds I think will probably work really well live cool well um, I'll go and I'll go and have a listen to them another just kind of as you're on the the um, the track of talking about live music there's something interesting that caught your eye this week on uh, music news wasn't there what was that um, yeah, so uh, Whitney Houston is touring the UK <laughs> uh, next year or kind of more Hang accurately on, Rick Whitney Houston's not alive anymore. I know. How is I mean, this? speaking as the person who actually was woken up at three in the morning um, when she unfortunately died uh, seven years ago to write her obituary yeah. at kind of three in the morning. Probably the point where I decided that maybe being a new, you know, music news hound uh, when you've got three kids in tow probably isn't the best kind of uh, long-term career option. But yeah. Um, well, surely you might have been awake at that time anyway, considering you had three, <laughs> three young kids. <laughs> no, I, I was no. never the one who woke uh, up with it. Oh, the... God, okay, fine. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, it's, it's more accurately her hologram that's touring the UK. So I guess I was interested in, you know, this has happened a few times in the past. I think Tupac's hologram, yep. inverted commas, played Coachella a few years ago. Um, how do you feel about artists from yesteryear coming back as holograms well it all reminds me of, of the black mirror episode with ashley o doesn't it have you seen that no i've not seen that i've not no. seen it oh it's um miley cyrus plays a pop star actually, actually you have to go and i'm see aware it. of actually, the episode i haven't got around to watching gotta see it, yeah. it sort of reminds me a bit of, of that where i'm not gonna you know no spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen it but um she, yeah uh, she has a hologram at some point in the episode um and it kind of reminds me if it make you know it makes me think about future gazing and and I think that it could be the future for, 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 for live music. I'm not saying I've never seen one, so I can't really comment on whether I think it's good or bad from kind of a live perspective. But I, I think it's a great idea. You know, Whitney Houston was such a big star. She's got some great songs. Why not try and make an amazing live show out of it? And I'm sure with the technology that is around today, it can be made into a brilliant show that people will love and want to go and see. So I would definitely be up for going to see that, yeah. And I think as well, I've, I've started to wonder if this whole nostalgia thing is growing. And obviously speaking quite ironically on a podcast that's all about nostalgia, but I was reading Q Magazine last week and there's a whole page of live ads for um, for kind of tribute acts, you know, Arctic Monkeys tribute acts and Oasis tribute acts, the Antarctic Monkeys. And, you know, I wonder if maybe, you know, holograms is the next step on from that because the thing about a hologram is a hologram will never get ill. A hologram will never turn up late to play. A hologram won't demand a rider. Once you've, you know, programmed in that hologram to play, you can take that anywhere and it will give you a flawless performance every night. You really need to go and watch Black Mirror because that's sort of what the whole thing is talking about. They'd, um, with with technology, they'd managed to kind of tap into her, her brain and create this real life version of her but wasn't actually real life. 
Maybe this is like AI and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Future and technology and that. I love it. Yeah. yeah, go and watch it and we'll talk about it next time. I was going to say, I mean, maybe we throw this over to the listeners. Is there anyone that you'd want to see come back as a hologram? Is there anyone that currently <laughs> isn't touring as a hologram? Because I'm sure if, you know, there's the demand for it, they'll, uh, they'll probably do it. Or even, I wonder if, you know, in the same way that we were talking the other day about how newspapers do obituaries ahead of people, um, ahead of people dying to kind of plan for that happening, you know, maybe they'll start firing up like the Pete Doherty hologram now, knowing that, you know, probably uh, they might need that in the next few years. You well, know? interesting to kind of good segue into this. So also another thing you'd, you'd picked up on this week is that Supergrass are back. Um, we could do the Supergrass hologram. <laughs> so is the segue there that Danny Goffey from Supergrass has drummed in Baby Shambles? That, that's what you're getting yeah, at, Yeah, that's right? exactly yeah. what I'm getting yeah. at, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, uh, one of my favourite bands of the 90s, uh, you know, All Right and Richard Third and In It For The Money. All Right was my one of my childhood anthems. I just absolutely used to go mental for that song. I don't really know why, oh, I, I do know why, because the, the piano, furious piano playing just was so much fun back in the day. And it was kind of classic 90s, wasn't it? It was kind of embodies everything that the 90s was, I think. And I think the thing was, they were obviously tagged as being one of the archetypal Britpop bands, but I also think they, they were distinctive enough. You know, whether it was Gaz Coombs, the singer's sideburns, whether it was the (laughs) kind of videos of the Muppets in it. And, you know, and I think their their sound as well, I think, you know, whereas maybe, you know, Pulp was kind of, they were kind of more about the kind of gritty side of life and celebrating the gritty side of life and Oasis going from the dole queue to to kind of Nebworth. Supergrass was just fun, wasn't it? It was fun music about going out, getting off your head, kind of embracing, um, embracing life as a kind of teenager. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing. Uh, d- definitely didn't get tickets, did we? But um, no, it was a last. It was a last minute announcement of a gig on. Oh, yesterday it was Monday. Yeah. Monday night, missed out on tickets. I'm sure they're going to do gonna a bigger do, tour. Yeah, they're yeah they'll cash back. in. Well, they'll cash, they'll in. cash that's, in. That's what bands probably have to do these days. That's isn't what it's it? all about, isn't it? But nostalgia, there is a big market for that. Not just in the music industry either. A, a lot of, but actually, there's been a lot of kind of backlash in the, the film industry about this recently. That they're saying leave it alone because the remakes are never as good. I went to see The Lion King with a group of girlfriends a few weeks ago, and it was just, just a bit crap really it was just no never going to be as good as the original um i'm sure i'll be dragged along to them with my kids at some point i think you might have missed the boat but they'll, maybe probably, be, they'll probably be watching it i might have been asleep you, in the you'd cinema know, you'd no know. hang on no i saw aladdin I mean, same it's thing pretty uh it's pretty exactly there's loads of them it's pretty it's pretty good in, in in terms of the fact that the animals do look pretty realistic at times but it's just never going to be the same anyway anyway another thing we wanted to talk about was the um upcoming mercury music Awards. It's called Mercury Prize now. Mercury. Oh, okay. They've shortened it. Uh, why? Why would they do that? Uh, probably fits better in a hashtag. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. Well, the upcoming Mercury Prize. Um, there's ten uh, artists on the list, um, and I want to know, Rick, who do you think he? Ugh. And I want to know, Rick, who you think is going to win. So yeah, I was thinking about this, and I think just to recap for the listeners, who's on the list: Anna Calvi, Black Midi, Kate LeBond, Dave Folds, Fontaine's DC. Idols, Little Sims, Now, Seed Ensemble, Slow Tie in the 1975. So I think who should, the question really should be who should win. Best album on that list for me personally, probably Anna Calvi. Uh, if yeah, you're, not, you're a big fan, aren't you? I mean, she's just a virtuoso mm. guitarist, brilliant guitarist, and uh, really kind of epic widescreen songs. Not the sort of stuff I would expect to be into. Very Bond esque, though, isn't it? It's very it is, kind of, yeah, I hate yeah. using the word epic. I really hate it. I hate but, the word epic. But it does kind of fit Anna Calvi's style. Widescreen. How about widescreen? Widescreen, that's, that's than, much better. better. Epic, yeah, epic. I couldn't think of another word, but you know what I'm trying to get to. 
but I think I'm torn between it probably being Slow Tie, who I think is obviously the rapper on everyone's lips at the moment, uh, kind of the man of the moment in terms of rap. Dave, who I know is also kind of in that that camp as well, or Idols, who you know are kind of the um, I guess probably the most important indie band out at the moment. You know they've kind of revived that kind of indie punk um, sound. So I'm going to put my te- my theoretical ten pounds on Idols. How well, about you? Well, you were saying that uh, Idols would, if Enemy existed in today's world, um, they would be always on the front cover. So yeah. that was a that was a quite an interesting statement from you. Um, I think. Well, who I think and who I want to win is probably the same answer, actually. I think Little Sims is going to win. She kind of came out on the scene. Oh, I don't really know exactly when. It was probably about a year ago I kind of first heard about her and was just glued to the radio thinking, oh, I like the sound and I like the, I like the tone of her, um, her, her voice when she kind of raps and sings and and I like what she's talking about as well in her songs. So I think she's probably very deserving of the Mercury Prize. One of the bookies' favourites, certainly, I know that. Yeah, great. So I've always got an eye on Anyway. <laughs> anyway, moving on to what this episode is all about. Yeah, so Cortinas. They're just one of those bands that I never really got into. I put them in the same category as Kasabian, but there's a big but here. You were talking about them the other day because they're, they're back with their sixth album, right? Sixth album, yeah. And I was yeah. really surprised by that um they have just haven't been on my radar at all and I, and I thought you know what Sarah stop being an idiot go and go back and listen to them do a bit of research and I changed my mind a little bit um based on what I'd heard and, and, and kind of what I'd seen as a result but I you know I'm very very stubborn um but it would be you know this is mostly Rick uh, he used to know them back in the day when he was at NME um and wanted to talk about their their new album and kind of what what they're doing now well it's, I guess more it's about hitting rewind on their career a little bit and going going kind of back to the start if I'm honest you know uh, would, did I even know them no did I interview them quite a lot for Enemy and kind of chart their rise when they emerged yes and I think there's an interesting story to be told there and we have got uh, and this would be interesting for court fans of the Cortina is an exclusive archive interview with Liam Frey recorded uh, before they uh, as they were recording their third album, Anna. So that'll be playing out a little bit later in the podcast. But yeah, I wanted to kind of really hit rewind on on their career and uh, and you know talk about kind of the in- some interesting stories from the beginning stages of the band that maybe haven't been told in a while. Um, so when did you first see them, Rick? Uh, yeah, so I, I guess I was quite fortunate. A little bit like with the Arctic Monkeys, where I landed in uh, Sheffield as they emerged. These emerged in Manchester kind of around the time that I was moving back from uni. It's kind of uh, 2006, 2007. But actually, I saw the band before they were a band. So Liam Frey, the singer, was a kind of a solo artist around Manchester beforehand. And it was always confusing because there was a guy called Liam Frost who played around Manchester at the same time, who was in a band himself. So it was like sometimes you didn't know which one that you were... uh, were watching and then yeah I heard that he'd kind of put a band together called the Cortinas went to see them at the Attic a venue in Manchester in two th- early 2007 uh, and then obviously being an enemy writer at the time is that right this is a band that we definitely need to start uh, covering and writing writing about hmm. so you did interview them for enemy then yes yeah, so I was lucky enough to do the radar interview uh, with the band which actually I what did what was a radar interview so the radar interview was like the new bands interview it was kind of the first it was like the first stop on the train in the enemy you know the first thing the piece of coverage that you would get would be a radar interview radar was like the new band section of the magazine 
Well, I knew this, of course, because I was an avid enemy reader, but I was just asking for people who may not have read it. And I'm sure there's probably a lot of people who haven't read it that are listening to this now. Um, so I guess part of this podcast as well is, is, is some of our stories from um, these times that we have been, you know, either hanging out with bands or seeing these bands back in the day. So do you have any good anecdotes from, from the early gigs? I'm sure you do. Well, I guess there's a couple of. I guess one of the anecdotes I'd give was the actual interview for the, the the sort of Met Enemy itself. In that, I think it was an interview that Liam Frey regretted afterwards because he spent most of it slagging off other bands. I mean, I brought I've brought some of this along just just for a laugh. Was this the one that you sent me earlier? Because I've got a good a good quote from this. Yeah, where he says, Nine Black Alps, they say nothing to me about my life." The long cut. The singer sounds like the idiot who gives out the evening news outside the town hall. He says he wants to throw the enemy off uh, the M62 bridge. He thinks Jack Pinate looks like Mike, George Michael. I mean, the point so was. So I loved this bit. I loved that bit. The bit about him looking was like he meant George to be Michael. Jo- no, he was trying to be trying to be George Michael. I'm like, was he trying to be George Michael? But I think what's interesting is, and we'll come on to this in the the kind of uh, the interview clip we're going to play from Liam later. Is he regretted all this? You know, he he was known as Gob Almighty, and the you know, the enemy would have headlines, things like Mank Motormouth, Liam Frey, and and this was how they got coverage. And even at times, I used to play off bands against each other you know you'd get mm-hmm. one band who slagged them off and then you'd go back to the band a bit like you know at school those people who'd want to encourage fights between people who'd go hey do you know what this person said about you oh no what 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 have they what why have am they i said not surprised about? you used to do this rick that wasn't me well that wasn't me in the, in the playground but it was me, probably a little yeah, bit i'm not of what saying in the playground i'm saying for your job in uh, in in nme and then just in terms of anecdotes i guess outside of that i remember once being in a club called 42nd street actually in this interview he says it's a rubbish club so i don't know why he was there <laughs> and i was with some of some idiot mates who were putting their feet upon the seats or something and we got chucked out and liam frey begged the bouncers to let me back in because he knew he knew the guys who ran 42nd street but but failed ultimately so i was i was chucked out and then you know i kind of watched their their rise through the ranks and going through kind of the small venues in manchester through to some of the bigger ones so then doing national tours but i guess i'm interested you know at the time you said that you they weren't a band that you were a fan of and you lumped them in with Kasabian, but you must have heard some of their songs out and about in indie clubs and bars and stuff. Oh, 100%. And I always used to not want to listen to them when I was out in the clubs and bars and stuff. And actually, it was just one song. It's the Not, not 19 Forever song. However... What I did do is listen to some of the other songs that you sent me. Rick put a little playlist together for me yesterday of other Cortina songs that I might not have heard before. And bearing in mind that they've had five albums already, there's probably a lot, there were a lot that I hadn't heard. Um, Out of the few, um, he tried to guess which ones I liked and he guessed wrong, actually. Guess again. Can you remember what songs you put on there? Lose Control. Okay, right, yes. That was one of the ones that I quite liked. And I I thought that was a bit Franz Ferdinand-like. Yeah, they, they have gone a kind of bit more down that kind of electro. Is this route, one of the like, newer the ones? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I quite, would I listen to it? No. Did I quite like it when I listened to it? Yes. Um, the other one that I actually really liked, though, and you'll be very surprised by this, considering I like upbeat music, is Cameo Brooch. I thought it was very unexpected, considering what I thought they were. Um, again, would I listen to it? Do you know what? Maybe. Um, or will I put it on my feels playlist? No. Um, can I see why they have a fan base? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, I think what you picked out there, though, is there's a depth to their material. There's a real kind of, you know, you think that they just do one thing, which at the start of their career was basically like the Libertines playing Oasis songs or Oasis playing the Libertines songs over whichever way you want to cut it. Whereas I think as their career has progressed, their sound has kind of progressed um, with them. And I think that second album, Falcon, that had Cameo Brooch on, you know, it was a real kind of step up it, it sounded like a band that were ready to start playing the arenas as opposed to the bars 
yeah. Well, what are you predicting from the next album then? Yeah, and I, I think based on the single that, that they've just put out, Heavy Jacket, I think um, I, I do think they've kind of got more of that kind of pop sound to them now, that more kind of, uh, I guess, electro kind of leaning. And that, that's no bad thing. You know, I know, I think someone I've noticed, some of my some of my contacts in the music industry say we've had con- conversations about the Cortinas. Now their audience has kind of evolved. You know, they used to be very much you know, every Oasis fan's second or third favourite band, maybe after Kasabian. And I think now their audience has evolved to be a lot broader than that, and there's actually a lot more women, a lot more kind of young teenage girls, frankly, who go to their go to their fancy, gigs. fancy the lads in the band, well, boys in the band. Probably not a million miles from, from the truth. But yeah, I think it's interesting when a band's audience evolves in that way, and mm. kids who could not, wouldn't have even been five or six, maybe, when the debut album came out, who are now, fa- you know, and that's probably why, you know, they're six albums down the road. They've had five top ten albums. And I, I tell you, I was thinking about this yesterday. One of the bands they remind me of in terms of they're kind of bulletproof c- critically is Stereophonics. So Stereophonics, you know, you don't see on uh, Jonathan Ross. I don't know that they've released an album. But the album probably does go top ten. You know, they have a yeah, loyal fan base. Yeah, I that bit of a strange one, how they, they're not really out there, but yet they are massive and they're they can't do anything wrong that band and they'll sell out arenas and they'll yeah. sell out stadiums you know in in kind of um in certain areas of the country but i guess this is probably a good time to to lead into the interview shall i give a bit of background on uh on how this all kind of came about please do yeah so this um although i probably have got the tape somewhere of the radar interview that they did uh you know when when liam was uh 21 22 but uh, you know this this is actually fast forwarding a little bit from that to their third album um Anna when they were recording that uh would have been about 2011 2012 to my mind and it was for the enemy kind of new albums of the year uh, issue and it's an interesting chat I think because a it gives a little bit of insight into the making of that album Anna and and some of the the work that went into that but I think more interestingly Liam does reflect a little bit on being that kind of mank motormouth when he came out the way that he slagged off certain bands and that's what got them not not what got them publicity but it's certainly what made people certainly interested in them i think so it's interesting to hear liam reflect on that but yeah this is probably a good chance to uh pause and and play out that interview from back in uh 2012. nice well let's hear it it's been a while since uh since i've heard from you so yeah yeah you've been you've been out in la right that, that's as, as as much as i think i know that you've been well i've kind of just been back and forth we've been in chunk of time in new york Chunks of time in LA, chunks of time in Manchester, and chunks of time in London. Been, you know, the big four, isn't it? And uh, what, what's what's the, you know, is it is it like, is it a girlfriend that lives out there, or is it, um, what what you know? I mean, it is, it is, but I don't really want to talk about that if that's alright, Rich. No, no, that's fine. Now let's keep that on the low. Oh yeah, no, but I'm just, I'm just trying to get a sense of you know why you've uh, you've not you've not lived a settled you know live settled in one place for for you know for the I last. Mean, I've just never, I've just never fancied that. You know, the, we go out on a, once you start travelling and being on a tour bus, and a lot of people hate that and can't wait to get home and settle into normal life. Like, I don't, I want anything but that. I don't want to settle into normal life. You know, it's like I'd rather, I just quite like the idea of being, travelling around and, you know, taking in different things. I don't really, you know, don't get me wrong, I love going to the shops and doing the shopping, getting the milk and the bread in. It's part of everyday life. Mm. But if you can do that in a couple of different places, then great. 
Yeah, and um, so this this third, I mean, obviously this is the purpose of this chat's the third album, so we'll kind of start with that, um, and then, you know, probably go off on complete tangents all the way through. But um, so I believe you're working on it in Manchester at the moment. That's right. You're in the studio where you you have been sort of kind of at least the last week yeah. or so. Yeah, we're in uh, a disused factory in in Mancunia somewhere, and. Yes, yes, done really well. Um, we've probably got a eight, nine songs to be honest, done and dusted. It's all come together very quickly. It took quite a long time to write and get all the bits and pieces down that I wanted. I took a different approach at the time. I started like trying to record everything from like bass and guitars and whatever, like demo wise. And just see how it went from there, really. Uh, took it to the boys, got their opinion. And, uh, yeah, within the space of six, seven weeks, we've got a lot of it done. So it seems, anyway. I mean, you never really know. Like, one thing I have to make clear is that we're not, we're not done. Until you are, you don't really know, do you, I suppose? Because anything can happen, anything can change. Mm. But, get, but the, the, aim is, the aim is to get it out at some point. 2012, I would have thought. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. At the minute, I'd be surprised if it was... I mean, I would be looking at... April, May, I think. Fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. It seems to be a popular time. But I think any band who's working on an album now, you know, probably wouldn't put the line in the sand and say, right, this will be out in February. band usually says April, May, and then... You know, usually yeah. comes out sometime summer autumn. You know, but it's just—I mean, I would—I would—I would like it to come out then. Um, it's just like getting everyone in, finding a producer and finding a studio and stuff. Like a lot of the time, that's what you're waiting on, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Who, who is uh, who is producing it then? So at the minute, we're working with um, Joe Cross. It was in performance, so I was a you know, fan of performance when they were knocking around Manchester. And I was actually with uh, Mr. Theo Butchcraft in London celebrating his birthday. And him and Adam were like, you've got to meet this guy, Joe. He did, you know, tracks on our record. He's a genius. As soon as he said that, I was like, oh, obviously my ears pricked up. It would be a perfect match for it. Mm-hmm. I said, so, you know, so let's give it a go. And it's, you know, it's different. It's not you know, your usual go-to guitar producer. And it's, uh, I don't know, it's fucking really exciting, to be honest. So, so does, does, that, um, does that suggest that you're going to, obviously you're not going to suddenly be getting opera singers, uh, you know, at the back of your gigs and stuff, but does that mean that there is going to be a movement <laughs> more, more towards the kind Campbell, of... Well, Cal, you'd, you'd be surprised what Campbell can do from that drum kit. <laughs> um, no, I just think it's more of a... I just, it just, I just wanted some fresh, some fresh blood. I wanted some fresh fingers on the dials. Um, everyone we've worked with, you know, Stephen and Ed on the previous records, have done an absolutely stellar job, you know, and very pleased with everything they did. But I just wanted something to be different, do you know what I mean? I you know, spent a lot of time in, you know, in clubs in New York and been over to Germany a few times and, you know, you're out in Berlin and stuff and, you, you just hear things in clumps and things just stick in your mind, I suppose. 
it wasn't so much of us thinking through my, sitting through my record, record collection going, what do I want to sound like? It was more things that were just kind of hitting me at random, like, you know, just kind of sieving the way into your brain, I suppose. And you wake up in the morning and go, yeah, I remember hearing that last night and seeing what, seeing what makes, what brings a girl to a dance floor. Mm. Tell you what, because once, once the girls go on the dance floor, the boys will follow. Yeah, very true. And obviously on the last you record, know? that that would have been you overdid it, Dale. You know, does yeah. does, that, does that suggest that you're going to move more in the? Because obviously that you know your last record, Falcon, there was there was that element of it that it was very danceable in places, and then you had stuff that that just sounded like massive, you know, rock tunes, like a massive arena sounding. You know. Yeah, I mean, this one is. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that's really danceable on it. You know, I just I just think Falcon was a quite introspective. It's just me kind of gathering my thoughts, and it's a very personal album as well. But this one is going to be. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's got it's got feelings of Manchester. You know, it's new order technique. I feel a bit of that in there. I've been listening to that a lot. I've been listening to Bowie low quite a lot as well. I know it feels quite electronic in places, but it, I think the overriding thing that I get from listening to the tracks that we've done so far is it just feels very, just feels up. Like, just trying to think of how I can put it. I mean, when you know these when you know these interviews are happening, I suppose you should sit there and think about it, but I always end up tripping up when I do things like that. I don't know. Do you know what? We were talking about the other day in the studio and the phrase industrial Motown came up which I was absolutely fucking all over. I was like, yeah, I'm having that. Industrial Motown. It doesn't sound like the city. Do you know what I mean? It sounds like the city, but you can dance to it. And, and obviously, you know, from the fact that you've, you've been quite nomadic over the last year, I guess it probably doesn't sound like one city either. It probably sounds like a, you know... It, it does, not. Yeah. It's taken influences it's, uh, from, from all around the world, I guess. I think so, but without sounding, that sounds like a right dick, <laughs> doesn't it? Like... <laughs> That sounds like you're Damon Albarn going to Africa, to be honest, but, yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those, isn't it? What, what am I going to do? I don't just want to sit at home watching Coronation Street. I think that's a picture that a lot of people would love to have, isn't it? <laughs> it's not the case, unfortunately. Well, to be fair, you, you did... Uh, there was a shot of you in Enemy about four years ago watching Coronation Street, if you, if you think back. Yeah, but we were in a beater at the time and I was leathered, so anything goes, doesn't it? <laughs> So, um, so you say you know you've been kind of off doing your own thing in in LA, um, you know New York, London. What does that mean? You haven't spent as much time with with the rest of the band over the last year or two. Um, Not really. I just think it means that the time we have spent together has been kind of better than it. I mean, there's nothing worse than you get us like a massive tour, you finish doing a record, and then it's like, yeah, should we all, you know, should we go around to each other's houses? And it's like. I don't know. We've always we've we've always been we've been very close friends since a very young age, so we've never felt the need to spend endless days in each other's company. But then when you are together, it feels like proper time. It's always like when you see your brothers or your sisters. You don't have to see them every day, but when you do, it just feels you know there's a, a real togetherness and love. And it kind of you know what this again this sounds like a massive cliche. But it feels like it does against the world. It has done since day one. Since before day one, we felt like it at school, before we were even in a band. Mm. You know, we always felt like we had something to prove to people. I don't know. It, it's always felt like it's us. And, and, uh, it's always felt like a bit of a struggle, but a struggle that we really enjoy, you know. 
I mean, is, is, is that mainly because, I mean, you know, guitar bands, although 2011 was kind of heralded as the year that, you know, the guitar bands would return, in terms of bands like the Vaccines, yeah, they did, they did sell out arenas and, you know, sold a few records too. Then on the other hand, you had the other band who were tagged with that brother, who, you know, no one even knows who they are anymore. Um, you say it's you against the world. Is, is there a sense of that? Because rock and roll has kind of, you know, it's been, been kicked to the curb almost over the last couple of years and you know people are looking to a band like you to to really kind of uh kick it off again well i mean the only thing we can really do is um, something that i've learned over the last few years that nothing will speak louder than the songs and all i can say in this place so far what we've got will blow people's heads off it's going to make people you know make people dead shake it sounds massive um i don't know i mean i I thought the Vaccines record was good, you know. I thought the Horrors album was brilliant. I feel like it was a, a decent year for guitar bands. Um, but I don't know, I mean, I think we're just going to... The songs that we've got at the minute are very, very strong. I don't think we're going to have any problem next year in making people come to our gigs and have a good time and just going... I don't know, I think Falcon surprised a lot of people, you know. I think this one will too. No, yeah, and I, I can still think back to when I first heard Falcon, and I think, although I'd heard it was going to sound massive, I don't think I was quite yeah. prepared for quite how massive it's. You know, it just sound. You know, the actual sound of the record, obviously, apart from the kind of quiet yeah. moments like Last of the Ladies and stuff, it just sounded. Yeah. You know, like cameo brooch, uh, brooch, brooch, brooch. Uh, okay. Yeah, um, just sounded absolutely huge. You know, and. I guess I'd almost yeah. be surprised if now, if you kind of did a bit of an about turn and went back to the kind of, you know, scratchier, kind of more sort of, you know, breakneck libs yeah. style stuff of, uh, of St. Jude, you know? It's, no, it's really weird. Cause you, as soon as we, as soon as like, we finished Falcon, I remember thinking like, the next one has to kick on straight away. So I started thinking about it pretty much straight away. So it's been quite a long time in conception, if you like. Um, but then we're actually recording it or whatever, doing that very quickly so we don't pour over things as much, maybe. Um, I don't know. It definitely isn't going to go like backwards to that that kind of indie rock thing. But it's not. That's not necessarily conscious. It's just kind of what we what we find interesting and exciting to play. It's, isn't it? I mean, there'll always be people who will be a bit weirded out by your new stuff. I think that happens with every band. You always get somebody who's only into you for your first single. Do you know what I mean? They just must sit at home with a thousand singles by bands. Mm. Never go to gigs. You know, it's great. You know, that's how people want to live their, their lives. You'll always get some people who won't like what you do. But we don't write for some people, we write for us. And then if people get it, that's, that makes us, that makes us happy, do you know what I mean? But. Uh, we've, we've just got to make sure that we really, really challenge ourselves because otherwise you feel like you're not giving the best shot, then where does it leave you? No, you're right, yeah. Um, what, what song title? Can you give as many of the song titles yet? I mean, I know that you yeah, played... Yeah, sure. You played Rosemary... So, so far... Sorry, mate, go on. You played Rosemary... In, I know you played Rosemary in Time at the uh, Delamere yeah. gigs earlier this year. Yeah. Uh, is, um, that, is that still going to be on there, or...? Lose Control. And how's, how's that one sounding? Um, like what? 
I mean, just if you can kind of talk us through, you know, a couple of the songs that are going to be on there and just kind of how... Okay, Loose, loose Control sounds like, um... I don't know, it's kind of got like the, the dance... It's got like the kind of big guitar dance sound, like sound of... Like the closest thing is probably something like Yeah, Yeah's. Like a cross between like feet, um... Some of the cells and zero, but it just feels quite, it feels quite raw, but at the same time, very powerful, kind of arresting. Mm. Uh, it hits you in the face, it's big. Um, what else do we have? We have a song called Push Yourself. Um, it's, I mean, it's always really, I always find it really weird talking about what we've done before people have heard it. People automatically then come to expect something. I don't know. I mean, push yourself is. All I can see is kind of a general theme that they've just got a load of fucking energy. And they're, they're a lot more powerful, I think, than the things on Falcon. Falcon was quite subtle in part, getting his message across. Um, I mean, we just wanted to keep the energy up for the live show. You've, you've got to look at it and go, like, what, what we're gonna play, when we're going to play that one. And, How's that going to get from there to there? Keep the set, keep the energy high and set. So do you reckon you'd be playing... It's quite, Sorry, it's quite a rest in the album. It's quite... At the minute, it feels like it's one hit after another. You know, like... And are you, oh, yeah. you, you going to be playing many of these, these new tunes at the Apollo later this month? Yeah. I would say we'll be doing at least three, I think. At least three. Um, with a with a view to maybe four, but you don't. You never want to. I don't think anybody wants to come to a gig and hear like fifteen new songs today. You just stood there bored. It doesn't matter if you played the best song in the world. People have I mean, people have never heard it. It's very difficult to keep the energy up for the set in it if you do that. And I guess as well in this kind of YouTube age, you know, if you play a, a new tune live and you haven't maybe quite finished it in the studio. Exactly. You know. That's the other thing, isn't it? You don't want to play something and then be like, well, hang on, what's, that's changed and that's changed and blah, blah, blah. You know, ultimately, it, it just, it just, I don't know. I remember when we sat down with Falcon, we were saying if we, a bit mid-paced kind of thing. We felt like, it was just on the right side of big to get away with, perhaps being, you know, some of them being not as quick as what people were used to. And then we're like, mm. you know what, fuck it. Because if it sounds big and we enjoy playing it live, you know, deal with it. Mm. You know, I think, I don't know, man, I, I feel confident that people are going to enjoy it. We don't, you know, we don't, you're not the same band that you are when you start out, you know, when you're 20 years old, are you? You know, I'm 26 now. Still, still a young gun, but things change, don't they? Yeah, I think the thing with Falcon was it sounded like a massively ambitious record that probably wouldn't have sounded yeah. right if you were still playing, you know, the Academy or whatever, but the fact was you were playing the arena with it, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. you may, I think I think that's what, you know, obviously you're always going to oh, be... It just all felt very natural, Rich. Like, playing those songs with the arena, you'll see when you see the DVD, you know, the, the take over the world and the openers and... They all sound fucking huge, but we, we were, it just seemed seamless. We, we'd never been one to sit down and try and craft it like where we're going to go when it's commerce. 
We've just been like, let's just go in and try and play some songs and see how it feels. Three or four hours. You know what? I just felt like we, the band felt such a buzz after maybe, you know, we probably had like six months where we didn't, we did some demos in March, April. Then we did a few gigs in the summer. We just, we've been quite sporadic, but when we got back together in October, it just felt like a proper gang again. It just felt like it was up for, you know, and we're painting on keys. Um, I think we felt like you were, you know, a, a, a gang of brothers again. And I think that's really important because I think people are missing that. I think people have had enough of, I don't, I don't even know what the word is, but I don't want to say pretentious, but you know what I'm getting at? We're just fucking four real guys in a band playing tunes. No, no intent, no plan. No plan, just strong fucking songs. And people get that. People like it. Do you know what I mean? Like people want to go to a gig and relate to something and go, yeah, they're just like me. You know, don't get me wrong, there's obviously slithers of genius embedded within each of us. But yeah, don't put that, mate. It's not the right dick. No, no, um, I think I know what you mean, because the, the music, I think if there's one thing the guitar scene is lacking, though, it's that last gang in town sort of mentality in a band, you know, especially now the Strokes. And you know what? Yeah, definitely. People, people want to see that. We're just four guys who like going out, having a drink, you know, just, just being in each other's company, having a good time. You see some bands, they all like fucking hate each other. And just because I'm not on stage kissing Kona, do you know what I mean? You see all this, like, faux relationships within bands, you know what I mean? All the fucking hugging and all that. If I started hugging one of them, they'd probably hit me. <laughs> you know, we don't need to do that. You know, we don't need to hang out of each other's pockets and, you know, love each other on stage. You know, we know, we know what our bond is and it's real. And I think that the people who like this band recognize that. And yeah, it divides opinion, but I mean, can't about that, can you? I mean, do you, do you think this will divide opinion further, or do you think this will unite the kind of uh, the tribes? Or do you, do you, I mean, have you almost given up winning over the people? Because the people who criticise your band, you know, will always. I can't. I can't see a time where you don't divide opinion, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's it's, it's quite difficult to even answer that question. I. I mean, I don't. I don't, I mean, I don't know, maybe they didn't like the fact that we enjoyed what we were doing and we thought it was fucking great. But surely there are the only two reasons you get in a band. You enjoy it and you think it's great. <laughs> that, to me, seems like the simple being in a band 101, isn't it? Mm. No, no I, I think maybe what got people's backs up was that, you know, you'd talk the talk and then you'd walk the walk as well. I think that's probably what frustrates oh, absolutely. a lot of the critics. Absolutely. A lot of people sat there they probably considered you doing that shit, it's alright, isn't it? And then Falcon came along and went, alright, oh, yeah, this one's good as well. Shit, we can do it. But, yeah, I know, it's, it's kind of past us now, anyway. It got me back up, you know, when I was 21, because you thought everyone, and you, you realise very quickly that everyone doesn't have to like you, that's fine. Mm. Quite, quite, at, quite at ease with that notion now, Rick. And you know, not, and obviously, you know, in those initial interviews that you know, I did a few, a fair few of them myself, yeah. and you know, you were you were always quick as much to talk your own band up as to, you know, slag other bands off as well. But it seems that there's been a bit of a move away 
from that as you I uh, think so yeah I mean do you know what Rick I think I think if you ask any person in this country when they're 20, 21 they're just all full of blood stuff and you know like you know I, I, re, I, I regret those I regret doing those things almost do you know what I mean because it paints such a negative picture of me I'm not that kind of person only when you sit back and you read that and you go shit it's what people think of us nobody will ever print the positive things that you say about people in bands, ever. They'll only ever see the negative things. And of course you regret them. As soon as you read them, you're like, shit, that's not the kind of person I am. That's not what kind of, anybody that knows me knows I'm not like that. And anybody that knows the band knows that as a group, we're not really like that. I don't know, we're 20 years old, six times Stella, anything goes. But yeah, they're just stupid things then, man, you know. That's all in the past. Well, that is interesting, Rick. And he does... Do you know what struck, really struck me with that um, interview is that he does actually sound very sorry. It's almost like he's he's kind of... He's, he's sat there apologising and he looks, sounds like he's about to cry. Well, I wouldn't say he's about to cry. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, you know, he's... You know, he's, I'm, trying to th- I'm trying to think about, you know, if someone, you know, a little kid comes to you and says, I'm sorry for my actions, I really do regret it, I'm, I apologise. Not that kids say I apologise, but I think he's got a point. You know, I think um, I think that's the difference, maybe, between musicians and you, you know normal people. Whereas the stupid things that we say when we're twenty one, twenty two in the pub to our mates, we don't then have to look back on in in magazines and in web pages and in um, podcast interviews. Um, you know, years later, and he's probably being a little bit contrite because we all say stupid things when we're young. Well, it reminds me of recently. Did you see the Justin Bieber apology on Instagram? So Justin Bieber probably last week or the week before put a massive long post on Instagram apologising for his behaviour as he was growing up as a um, uh, kind of big huge world pop star in the the in the limelight um, and he said he was talking about how it, being a child star had really affected him and how badly he'd treated people and in particular how badly he'd treated women and and what he'd what he's done and what he's ashamed of and was apologising it sort of reminds me a bit of that and it's great. I think it's a really good thing. It was. It's quite not. You know. I think I probably do like the Cortinas a bit more now, and I'll probably listen to their album when it comes out. Um, it's nice to. It's nice to see people have reflected on things that that they they probably shouldn't have done. Now, I don't think that people shouldn't have done it. I just think it is. You know. It's nice for people to acknowledge that they might have hurt people in the process. Yeah, and I, and I guess it'd be interesting. You know, when they do that, really sort of ramp up the promotion for this new album, the sixth album. Because keep in mind, this interview is a good six, seven years old. Uh, kind of how they reflect on on kind of their past as well. I'm sure they'll get asked the questions. Well, maybe they'll maybe they'll want to come on our podcast and talk to us about it. Well, who knows? If, especially if, if if you've changed your mind in terms of being, being be a nice. bit of fun. I'll be nice. I'll be But I'm cynical, so you know. But anyway, yeah, uh, be interesting to see. You know, the album uh, more more again forever is out in January. They're doing some big arena shows. Uh, be great uh, once that comes out. To hear from the listeners what they make of that definitely well thanks for listening to this episode it has been episode two of series two um can't believe we're rattling on already uh through series two it's very exciting and we're loving it um if you want to get in touch with us we we really do love it when you guys get in touch um you can email us at demotapespod at gmail.com we're also on instagram and twitter at demotapespod and if you want to get us on uh personal social channels as well um i'm I am Sarah Jane Kemp on Instagram and I'm Sarah Jane Kemp on Twitter and Rick is Rick underscore J underscore Martin there we go Uh, thank you again for listening and 
we also every episode do ask you to give us a five star rating on iTunes if you can because it really does help and all that rubbish blah 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 blah. Um, but until next time see you soon see you next time